And a voice was heard from heaven. You are my people, my beloved. With you I am well pleased. Please be seated. It's just a little bit too perfect, isn't it? Jesus emerges from the water as the heavens part and the Spirit of God descends upon him like the perfect white dove. I can almost see the stagecraft, having done a play or two in my days, with clouds pulled apart by angelic stagehands as a pristine white dove is lowered down on string to a spot just above Jesus' head. And then just at the exact right moment, a light which has been installed right at the tail feather, well, maybe a little above, um, shines brightly and suddenly there's this wonderful backlight and then we hear the voice of God. Now, forgive me for having a little bit of fun with this image of the Holy Spirit. I do not for a minute want to domesticate the wild and wonderful spirit that descends upon Jesus in the moment of his own baptism. I do, though, want to challenge the precious ways that we remember and recall it. The more we see this as a carefully executed moment of heavenly choreography, where everything goes precisely on script and to plan, the farther we get from understanding what the wildness of baptism really means. Let's not forget who was standing next to Jesus in the water. John the Baptist, the original wild man himself. Let's not forget that they were not in some precious country church. They were out in the wilderness, a place of danger and uncertainty. In short, if the Spirit truly did descend onto Jesus on a perfect vertical axis, I believe that this would have been the very first and the last time ever that the Holy Spirit traveled in what we might think of as a straight line. The Spirit does not move like that. The Celts believed in the Holy Spirit, to be sure, but a domesticated and perfect white dove simply didn't do it for them. They saw the Holy Spirit as a bird, to be sure, but they preferred the imagery of a wild goose. Not a heavenly dove, but an awkward, squawking, disruptive, even pugilistic bird whose very being summoned chaos and unpredictability. That would change the story of Jesus' baptism, wouldn't it? Instead of a a, perfect white dove just sort of floating down, you instead had a big old bird that essentially does a cannonball into the water, splashing, uh, making a complete mess. This was a loud, hot mess presence 
whose arrival suggested not so much a coronation as the beginning of a wild adventure where nothing, and I mean nothing, was going to go to plan. And that is precisely where faith was going to grow. If you, for example, are in a cathedral where the heat is not working, you know that things do not always go to plan. Now, I wish in this moment that I could um, recall a hymn, uh, a, a psalm from King David, or, or a hymn from Charles Wesley, something that really illustrates this point. But instead, the words that I can't seem to shake from my head are from a song called Cosmic Thing by the B-52s. And, and in this song, which all of their songs are playful, but this one describes a transcendent experience as being, and you have to hear Fred Schneider's uh, Georgia drawl, uh, like someone gave you a wild goose or a freight train with a loose caboose. Now, this is a dance song, so the next line is something about shaking one's honey buns. Um, so I'm not going to follow the B-52s any farther at this moment. I'm instead going to go with the wild goose itself to see where our what our baptism really does to us. We could be forgiven for thinking that our baptism is only about initiation or membership or even being saved by the death and resurrection of Christ. It is those things, to be sure. It is dying to sin and being reborn in the Spirit. And yes, it is also an occasion for the body of Christ to gather and remember who we are. Whether we celebrate with the newly baptized, when we, as we will later, recall our baptismal covenant together. Not only what we believe, but what it calls us to do. But there is more. Baptism is also an entrance into the life of wildness and unpredictability. It is waters that wash away trauma and injustice and the status quo trappings of our worldly lives. It is a lifelong companionship with a spirit animal that will not go where you want it to go. This winged creature is obdurate and iconoclastic in the same breath. And your baptism means that it is your friend for life. Baptism ignites in us a faith that is not formulaic, but wild. It is an antidote to the sins of this world. From self-centeredness to supremacy. It is a lifelong call to embrace our belovedness. The wild goose is playful. It is unpredictable, courageous, and loud. It squawks where a doubly cue would have been just fine. 
It is disruptive, but not for the sake of, of tearing things apart. The goose heralds a soulful adventure with God that can only happen after we embrace the reality that we are simply not in control of this journey. And lest you think that this is just New Age thinking, even before the Celtic folks many centuries ago figured this out, Paul himself saw that the earliest churches had already begun to domesticate the great spirit by pretty much forgetting that it existed altogether. When Paul was visiting some disciples in Ephesus, faithful people, he asked them about their baptism. And he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became baptized? Excuse me. When you, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? To which they replied, wait, what? They had been baptized by John into a life of repentance and readiness. Now this was faithful and beautiful in and of itself, a baptism into sustainable and ethical change. Which to me speaks of both inner transformation as well as the kind that involves all of us, the kind that is systemic and communal. But you see, that is not the whole picture. They replied, honestly, they said, no, we, we hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit. Now, we have certainly heard of the Holy Spirit. We all know about the dove. It's in the window. It is in the windows, right? Where is it? Point. Whoever sees the first dove. Oh, I think there's a dove right there. Right there. Okay, good. <laughs> Didn't want to be wrong on that one. Um, <laughs> we all know about the dove. But we might not have heard about the goose who takes us through those same waters, but on a very different journey indeed. Paul then taught them that baptism in Christ was not just about repentance and amendment of life, but about being infused with the wild and loving imagination of our Creator. This was about complete rebirth. Now, while I'm on the subject of rebirth, though, in the mid-1960s, some wise leaders of the Episcopal Church began to see that things were changing. The church that they had known for their whole lives was beginning to fade from the center of the culture. This is the 1960s when they began to notice something was happening. This church that they had grown up in had been for decades, perhaps for centuries, had been a number of things, including the Church of the Establishment, the ch a church of clericalism, the church of the aristocracy, the church of the ownership class, the church of the proper salad fork, um, and many other things. Now, to be fair, to be fair, there were many deeply faithful folk as well. We are standing in a space that is absolute evidence of profound faith throughout the centuries, and yet, there was just no denying that the pillars of this establishment were beginning to show signs of fatigue. And they didn't carry the same kind of cultural currency that they had just a few years 
before. And so what was their answer? What do we as Episcopalians do when, when everything seems to be uncertain? What is our answer? We rewrite the prayer book, right? That's how we handle things. Like, go to the shelves. Let's go back to the drawing board, sort of. Well, it, it was to draft a new prayer book. And so over the decade, now getting into the 70s, they created something that I, I believe was really quite revolutionary. Drawing on the moment, but also on scholarship, new scholarship, drawing on the liturgical movement, drawing on texts and, and liturgies that were used all throughout the Christian church. They created something, a prayer book, really a prayer book tradition now, that was centered on the ministry of the baptized. So whenever you crack that thing open, there's a bunch over here if you want to take a look. Everything you find in some way relates back to our baptism. And that we, as the baptized, are the ministers of this church. This was not actually a brand new thing. It was going back to the, the principles and practices of the earliest churches. Baptism is not merely, though, the ministry of the members but rather the ministry of those who dine and walk and dance with the goose. Now, this was the late 1970s now, and we were still Episcopalians, so we were not ready to talk about the spirit and the goose and, and, and all of that. So instead, we talked about baptism. That's safe, right? That is, that is right and proper. We're going to talk about baptism. That's really good. But you don't realize that when you talk about baptism, you may be starting to talk about something that is nice and familiar, but what you're actually doing, if you're going to root your whole faith, if you're you're going to root your whole church on this idea of baptism, you might actually be leaving the back door wide open for any old wind or dove or, let's be honest, wild goose to walk in, fly in, or whatever they do, to get in and then tear the whole place upside down. And as our establishment identity faded, we found new life. By remembering our baptism. But remember, this is not about finding a new program or a new core value, but rather it's about surrendering ourselves again and again and again to the great adventure of faith. In our country, there is a new, a new church establishment rising up, though, in the form of Christian nationalism. Ushering in a new chapter in white supremacy. Just as the old establishment that once made it the law of the land, which I'd, I'm sad to say is us, just as that old establishment is now finding new life in an awareness of what it has done and what it must now give up, precisely because we have let the wild goose in and it is our baptism that makes us who we are. As we turn to a new year, how many times have you said or heard, you know, this is going to be a tough one. This is going to be a tough year. Have you heard this? I, I, 
they're all tough these days. I recognize that. But with challenges to democracy, with rapid acceleration of climate change, with a toxic resurgence of white supremacy, we are right to be concerned about the months to come. But like a church that which saw its establishments fading and instead returning to baptism and finding new life there and new energy to move out into the world and create the beloved community, we too can find strength and inspiration and a lively peck from the wild goose that became our ever-honking life coach on the day that we, too, were baptized. Because the baptismal life, rooted in covenant and in a radical perception of the dignity of every single human being, does something that all human movements have failed to do. The waters of baptism... For the vo those of us who give our hearts to this church, for those of us who follow Jesus, the waters of baptism are the antidote to selfishness and supremacy. And they wash over us with the wildness of the Holy Spirit. Willie James Jennings has written that Jesus has made possible an entirely new space of relationship with one another. That's what this is about. That's what our baptism ushers us into. And yet he suggests that anywhere that we have ignored that invitation and instead remapped our world, remapped our church, remapped our community, our country around Instead, the grid lines of our own familiar power bases, what we've done is created something very different from what God envisions for us when God called each and every one of us beloved. The wild goose has something very different in mind. On the day that you were baptized... God called you beloved. And what great news is that? That is the best news ever. But you know, we are not simply called to sit and rest in that. Because I believe, and I love that I'm standing at the, the pulpit of Trinity and saying this, the B-52s were right. They were right about a lot of things, but this one in particular, it's like someone gave you a wild goose or a freight train with a loose caboose. The spirit we receive in baptism is not something that we control or choreograph. The wild goose is here to disrupt and to spread feathers and who knows what else all around and ultimately to lead us to an entirely new adventure with the one who calls us beloved. The one who created each and every one of us. Amen.